For those of you that have two vehicles in your family, I'm wondering if you kind of do what we do, okay? One of those vehicles is a little different than the other. Um, They might have a little bit of a different purpose. Um, They probably have a little bit of a different look. The odometer looks a little different from one to the other, okay? One of them is called mom's car and one of them is called dad's car. Does anybody else have anything like this in your family at all? Okay, all right. There's a couple of you. Thank you for being honest this morning. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you the, the car with less miles is actually mom's car. But that's okay. We won't. We, that's just, you know. But anyway, um, a totally unrelated, a couple of weeks ago, we went to Pennsylvania and we took my wife's Equinox down there. And um, just let that sink in. That's all right. It took you a while. But when we were on the way down there, I was so thankful that we took her car. Okay, and and it's it's comfortable. Um, it's got a lot more features, you know, and and it's this just the backup camera alone. How cool is that? I'm driving old technology, obviously, and um, so so we drive down there. We're going through Chicago. It's five thirty in the morning, and you would think there'll be no one else on the road in Chicago at five thirty in the morning, but it's a lie. It was packed. It wasn't slowing down, though. We were, doing, we were doing sometimes over 90 just to stay in the flow of traffic. And I was so glad because her car has this, this feature, uh, and, and it's a feature that when someone is coming up behind you, there's a little yellow light that flashes in your rearview mirror just enough to catch the attention of somebody who's maybe a little ADD, you know? And and so immediately I, I look at it and it's telling you that someone is in your blind spot. I was so glad. It was 5.30 in the morning. We're doing 87 miles an hour and a Dodge Charger comes by us doing 120. I kid you not. So that blind spot thing was really helpful. And I, I want to use that to simply say this, that we all have blind spots in our lives. Things that we don't see. Things that we don't know that we don't see. And David had some blind spots in his life. David was a worshiper. He was a songwriter. He was a poet. He was a warrior He was a giant killer. He was a successful general. He conquered Jerusalem. We don't think about that very often. Jerusalem didn't start with David. Jerusalem was a city that was all a a mighty city that was already there, a very fortressed city. They had to crawl through the water system to invade it from the inside. And that city became known as the city of David. And how significant that city is, even to this day, being the center of Judaism, the center of Christianity, and also a huge center in the Muslim world as well. That city has, has been just one of the most incredible cities in the world. David made it his capital. David was the royal uh, predecessor for the Messiah. Do you ever think about that? 
the Messiah was born from the line of King David. David wrote a lot of scripture. 73 Psalms are credited to David. That's a lot of chapters in the Bible that were written by one man. We don't think about this very often, but David has been a prominent figure in history for three millennia. Three millennia. This man has been someone that we have known about historically. He's featured in art, obviously. He accomplished great things. And the Bible said he's a man after God's own heart, and yet he had blind spots. Today we're going to talk about some of those blind spots. David in his life, the Bible records the names of 20 of his children. So some of us, uh, you know, if, if we got three or four or five, we think we got a lot. David, we, we see the names of 20, but really more than likely he had actually probably quite a few more than that. Um, and, um, and David's blind spots are situations that, that really center around the lives of his children. The first one that I want to look at is his son Absalom. Absalom, we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25. It says, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. If Absalom were alive today, he would be an influencer on TikTok. Okay? What is what? Uh, he's perfect. He was the definition of a handsome, perfect man. Imagine, imagine that. And he was known for his hair. <laughs> known for his hair. He was. He used to weigh his hair. He would cut it once a year. He would weigh his hair. It was so heavy, so thick, so lush, so beautiful. And I have none of it. We'll get back to that later. He had an entourage that traveled with him. I'm telling you, he would be a TikTok star or an NBA player. He traveled with an entourage of people. And he would go every day and he would set up with his entourage. He would set up at the city gate. And he would talk to people at the city gate. And he, did, he didn't do it for a day or a week or a month. He did it for four years. We read about it, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, then Absalom would say to him, meaning the person that he meets at the city gate, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representation of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Absalom was the self-appointed keeper of complaints. That's what he was. And he endeared himself to the people this way. 
The Bible says that he literally stole the hearts of the people away from his father. He stole their hearts. And he devises a plan whereby he can make himself king. And this conspiracy that he develops is so successful that his father David has to leave the city that is named after him, the city of David, and he has to flee with his tail between his legs without a shot being fired, without a a sword being swung. David leaves the city. We read in the text, my mic just, oh, there we're good, we're good. We read in the text that, that, Dave, that uh, Absalom pursued his father with 12,000 of Israel's soldiers. Josephus, the historian, tells us that David could only muster together about 4,000 soldiers that would go with him. Now, there's a little bit of discrepancy with that, it, it probably was more than that, but that's the best historical information that we have. And we realize that Absalom's men and David's men are going to fight. Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 5, it says, The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, they're going into battle now, Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Wait a second. He has conspired against the king. He has proclaimed himself to be the king. And now he is sending an army to defeat not only the soldiers that are with David, but more than likely to kill David himself. And David's response is, please, go easy on him for my sake. Go easy on him. Well, David's men fortunately routed Absalom's army. And in that battle, that beautiful, luscious, long hair of Absalom, as he was trying to get away on his mount, he went under a branch of a tree and that hair got caught in that tree, that branch. And his, his animal kept going and he hung, he just, he just was there. And he wound up getting, getting run through with a spear and he died as a result of it. So the moral of the story is, be careful how much hair you really have <laughs> if you're going into battle. Just be careful. I'm never going to have, that'll never be said of me that I got hung up by my hair. Oh, it's a hang-up, but I just won't get hung up by my hair. I want you to look how David responds. 2 Samuel 18, verse 33. said the king was shaken. He's got the news that his son has died. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David wished that he had died rather than his son. Imagine the history that would have taken place in that country as a result of that. 
David was an incredible leader, but he was blind to the threat that his son caused the kingdom. There was a lack of awareness. There was a, 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 a conflict avoidance in David's life. We read in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David prays this prayer, and I believe that David is praying a prayer here, asking God to reveal his blind spots when he prays this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. I think David realized that he had blind spots, but we don't know what those blind spots are. And David prayed, God, reveal them to me. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked God to reveal your blind spots to you? You know, you might actually be thinking, well, I didn't really until this point realize that I may have had any blind spots. But this morning, I believe that God is speaking to us and he's saying, listen, I want to reveal through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to reveal those blind spots to you. Some of us know what that is when God has spoken to us through the Holy Spirit and we don't like it because we realize he's right and we don't want to have to deal with it. Blind spot number two comes through his son Adonijah. Adonijah is the king's firstborn, firstborn son. At this point in David's life, we're in 1 Kings chapter 1. David is nearly 70 years old. He's nearing the end of his reign. And like Absalom, Adonijah is also very handsome. And he believed that as the firstborn, that he should succeed his father on the throne he believed that his father was at the end of his ability to rule. And so what he did is as a way of making himself a candidate, he also began to travel with an entourage. He, he got chariots, he got horses, he got 50 men, and they would go before him and they would announce his presence. And Adonijah was saying, I am somebody, I wa Israel, I want you to know that my dad is almost at the end and I'm somebody that really it makes sense for me to rule after my dad is done. David never offers any correction to his son. He never suggests to him, hey, this probably isn't the right thing to do. I think sometimes as parents, we, we see our children make choices and decisions and, and we fail to speak the truth to them because sometimes we're afraid of how they'll respond to us. Adonijah was such a, a, such a good politician that he convinced the priest, he convinced the commander of the army to come along with him, and Adonijah holds a celebration party. And this party is sort of half religious event and half celebration event where he, in essence, crowns himself to be the king. And they sacrifice a great number of sheep and cattle, 
They're, they're, it, it, it really, it looks like it's a worship event. It looks like they're worshiping God. But, but all, all behind it is this idea, this, this thought that it's time for me to be the king. And the people begin to chant, long live King Adonijah. All of this without David's involvement, without David's permission, I would even have to say without David's knowledge until Nathan comes on the scene. Now, Nathan, remember, is the guy that that confronted David about Bathsheba. Nathan comes to Bathsheba and he speaks with her and he said, hey, did you realize that this is happening? You better better go talk to the king because if you don't go talk to the king, you and your son are going to be treated as criminals. Her son was Solomon. You better go talk to the king because there's going to be a problem otherwise. Now, let me say this. Guys, other than amen, thank you, Jesus, don't respond any other way. Ladies, just let it lie, okay? But praise God for a wise wife. Because, thank you, she came to the king and she said, King, didn't you tell me that my son was going to sit on the throne after you? And it was through Nathan the prophet and through Bathsheba and their intervention that this second attempt to take over on the throne was thwarted. Look at Psalm 19 verses 12 and 13. This again is David writing. But who can discern their own errors? Man, that's powerful. Who can discern their own errors? When we make mistakes, do we really, do we know? Do we know that we make mistakes? When a tree, when a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? When a man is wrong and there's not a woman there to tell him that he's wrong, is he really wrong? Not as far as she knows. (laughs) Who can discern their own errors? Look at what he says. Forgive my hidden faults. Who's David talking about here? Who who are these faults hidden from? David has said, God, God, you, you created me. In my inmost beings, you knit me together in my mother's womb. David has admitted that God already sees everything. So who are these faults hidden from? I think David's talking about his blind spots. These things that are so well camouflaged, so well hidden, that David himself couldn't see him. Keep your servant also from willful sins. These hidden faults, these hidden sins, these blind spots are on one side. And he said, also keep me from willful sins. I believe that David is acknowledging these blind spots. You know, I think we're just like David. I think we've got willful sins and I think we've got blind spots. David was saying, God, reveal the blind spots. Show me the blind spots. Forgive me for my blind spots. There are blind spots in our lives. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7, verse 5, the second half of the verse. 
He said, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there are times when there are things that are in our vision that cause us to not be able to see. You see, I believe Jesus is saying we want to get the speck out of of eyes, period. But we can't do that if we've got a plank in our own eye. We have to address our blind spot first before God can use us to do anything else. God, address my blind spot first. Address it in my life. God, come and speak to me. Show me what my blind spot is. Show me the plank in my own eye before you ever use me to look at someone else. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But we can't do that if we can't see. We can't do that if the blind spot that we have is so pervasive that it keeps us from being able to see, to restore that individually. We need help with our blind spots, amen? Blind spot number three, this is a tough one, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a tough one, and I need you to hang on here with me because we're going to go to an ugly place. Amnon was David's, David's son. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the course of time, Amnon, the son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Again, this is not a love story. But he falls in love with his half-sister. He makes himself sick over it. He is obsessing over her. Their half-brother, half-sister... Amnon is so um, sick over this, and he tells one of his advisors about it, and the advisor was what the Bible calls a very cunning individual. And he says, hey, listen, man, you're the king's son. You don't have to go around uh, making yourself sick. Here's a plan. We'll, We'll just enact this plan, and you'll get everything that you want. 2 Samuel 13, 6. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. He feigns sickness. He asks the king for his sister to come make him bread in his sight and then feed him from her hand. And David can't think and see that something's wrong here. He's got a blind spot. He doesn't pick up on this strange request. He doesn't recognize it because of a familiar pattern in his own life with Bathsheba. He fails to see Because of a blind spot. And when we have blind spots, we will fail to see blind spots in the lives of our own family. 
He doesn't pick up on it. And the Bible tells us that Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. And 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21 gives us a very telling response. When King David heard all this, he was furious. We're talking about a giant killer here. We're talking about the greatest general. We're talking about the man who conquered Jerusalem and made it his city. And he was furious. And you know what he did to his son? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because he's got a blind spot. He doesn't do anything. This man, David, who wrote worship songs to God. This man who had a heart after God's own heart. How could he ever let something like this happen? His blind spot blinded him. The same blind spot that he had in his own life. James chapter 1 verses 23 and 24. It says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. David forgot. David's blind spot caused incredible pain, incredible loss in his own family. It, was, it, 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 it came at a very high price. Two years later, Absalom devised a plan where he could kill Amnon. And he was able to have Amnon killed. Tamar lived in seclusion for the rest of her life because of David's blind spot. And some of you have been the victim of a blind spot at some point in your life. And you've wondered things like, God, how, how could my family have ever missed this? How could the person that was supposed to care for me, how could they miss this? How in the world is this possible? How could, how could God miss this? And friends, let me tell you that God does not miss anything. From everything that I see in the scripture, there is nothing that God isn't aware of. He's aware of every detail of our lives. God did not miss. God did not have a blind spot relating to your pain, relating uh, to the, the blind spot of your family members that may have missed something and, and brought about great hurt and great sorrow in your life. God didn't miss that. God is absolutely aware. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. John is writing in his revelation about the church of Laodicea, the ones that were neither hot nor cold, that God was going to spew out of his mouth. He said, you say, I am rich. 
I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Friends, I want you to know today that we serve a God who opens the eyes of the blind. We serve a God that can clear up blind spots. We serve a God that can heal the pain that has happened in your life due to blind spots in other people's lives. And I want you to know that he is here to do that today. Would you stand with me as we close our service? It's a very, a very intimate moment with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to invite you all across this place to just bow your heads and close your eyes just for this moment. Some of you, while I've been speaking today, the Holy Spirit has just spoken to you and, and, and has encouraged you. You need to ask me to reveal the blind spots. And, and you want to be obedient to that beyond just saying, okay, God, sure. I want to pray for you this morning if that's you. And, and what I'm going to ask is just if that's you to just slip your hand up. If God's just spoken to you in some way about, about your blind spots, you don't even know what they are, but God is saying, listen, I want, I want to be able to speak that to you. Raise your hand if you would do that. Yes, yes, all over. There's hands all over the room. You can put them down. Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us our blind spots. For those that have raised their hand, they're saying, God, your Holy Spirit is speaking to me. I confirm it that you, are, you desire to reveal to me my blind spots. Father, today I pray, reveal those blind spots. And before we move from this moment, if there are those of you that have questioned, where was God? Why, why were others blind to my suffering? Where were they when my family was blind? The way I'm sure that, that Tamar must have felt, how could my father ever have let this happen in my life? How come the one that was supposed to protect me seemed to have turned a blind eye to my suffering? If that's you here today, I believe that God wants to minister to you. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If, if that's you, just slip your hand up so that I can see it. Yes, 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 yes. Father, you see these hands that are raised. And I believe that in the tenderness of your Holy Spirit this morning, God, that you have come. And you have said, my child, I am aware I've never been blind to your suffering. Father, I pray today that these that have raised their hand would be able to forgive. They would be able to forgive the one that was supposed to be their protector, that had a blind spot in their lives, that didn't see it. Father, I pray that we would be able to forgive, that we would be able to release that, that feeling of, of being um, 
a victim, a feeling of being taken advantage of, a feeling of, of, of someone more powerful than us having their way over us. Father, I pray, restore today. Restore what the enemy has tried to take from us. Restore it, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It has been wonderful to be with you today. I just want to encourage you, no matter what your plan is right now, hang around. Fellowship with people and get to know people.